uh, wasn't that breakfast amazing? <laughs> and thank you guys for the spirit-led worship. Uh, I, I know God is in our midst. Um, how is the breakfast discussion? Who are your people that you're going through life with? Mine are my wife, Jean. Um, we've been married almost 42 years. It'll be 42 years in August. Thank you. And we have... Um, <laughs> thank you. We have a daughter, uh, 34, that lives in Grand Rapids with her husband, Chad, and our two grandchildren, Everlet and London, and our son, Eric, who will be 30 um, in a couple of months. And uh, he lives near Saratoga Lake and works for Global Foundries. I guess my, my main friend and, and uh, support in spiritual direction and life is Gary Halbadel. He just turned 70 a couple weeks ago. And uh, <laughs> he, he's, he's leading the way. I said to him on his birthday, let's grow old together. You go first. <laughs> Um, Gene and I um, co-lead with Steve Rao and his wife Cassie the uh, Four Loves uh, Sunday School class on C.S. Lewis's book Four Loves. There's about 12 of us um, reading and thinking hard about how God is love and what love is all about. And then there's the Saturday morning men's group. About 14, 14 of us currently, um, we meet across the way at the old building upstairs, um, 7.30 every Saturday morning. Uh, everybody is invited. It's a great time together. What we do is we worship, and then we talk about what revival is and pray for revival, especially starting with us, with one another. Then one man brings a scripture, and we talk about that scripture and pray for each other, and then some go out to breakfast. It's a good time. And uh, so this morning, it's my turn, and Frank told everybody that Dale's cooking, so there's about 10 times more people than usual. But uh, yeah, my topic, um, maybe Skip could put on the, there it is. Um, God's been leading me to pursue revival for over 20 years, and I want to share with you this morning some of what he's taught me. And I'll start with my life verse. This is the verse I would have shared with the, uh, the Saturday morning men's small group. Um, this is my life verse, uh, Isaiah 50, verse 4. And even though we were just up praising God, and that was awesome, let's stand up again, and we're going to read this scripture together. Everybody up. This may or may not be familiar to you, but uh, let's read it out loud together. Here we go. The sovereign Lord has given me an instructed tongue to know the word that sustains the weary. He wakens me morning by morning, wakens my ear to listen like one being taught. Just stand as I open us in prayer. Lord, we need to hear from you. I thank you for men's hearts that were stirred in worship. We know we're desperate without you, that apart from you we can do nothing. So I pray, in Jesus' name, you would fill us with your spirit, give us ears to hear, and I pray you would open our eyes to see you 
and to see ourselves differently this morning in a way that revives our souls. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So I've read this verse uh, many times. Uh, Most of my life I've looked at it as a verse about counseling. And it is a good verse on counseling. It says, if you want to have anything powerful and life-sustaining to say to somebody, you better listen. Listen first to God and then listen to them. It's helpful for that reminder. I would suggest that you memorize it and use it. But let's look at it this morning as a revival verse. If you look at it, who's supposed to be blessed? Who's revival supposed to bless? The weary. Folks that don't know him. Folks that are struggling. Why did Jesus call you to himself in the first place? To give you a happy, cushy life and make you feel good? <laughs> yeah, right. Very funny. Yeah. He, he called you to himself to, to invite you into a resurrection life for others. A, love, a life poured out for others. Who's asleep and needs to wake up? Us. Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What have some of the revivals of the past been called? Great Awakenings. Yes. Great Awakenings. The first Great Awakening. The second Great Awakening. Awakenings of what? I want to tell you a little story. About 20 years ago, I became obsessed with the idea of promoting revival in the Church of the Capital Region. Along with people like Ed Silvoso from Harvest Evangelism, I turned in my Bible to Jesus' words in John 17 that his people would be one like he and the Father are one so that the world would know that he's really the Son of God and would come to him. It seemed clear. Unify the church. Culminate history. Unify the church. Revival. Let's get this job done. Seems simple and easy. So I dedicated myself to promoting unity in the body of Christ, especially among Christian leaders. Who wasn't I focusing on? Yeah, yeah. My mentor at the time was a woman in her 70s named Rita Lindquist. She was the kind of uh, Sunday school teacher to adults that on Easter Sunday morning without a word, walked around the circle of her class and dropped a nine-inch nail into each of our hands. Yeah, happy Easter. And she listened to what I was doing in, in the, the, the unity movement and, and revival, and, and she shook her head and she said, Brian, I don't think it's about what you think it's about. Don't you hate it when somebody that knows God way better than you says something that stops you in your, in your tracks? It confused me. It bothered me. I I thought she was wrong. I hoped she was wrong. And I threw myself into the unity movement. I gave all my free time to meeting with pastors, emailing people about the unity vision and, and revival, prayer walking my neighborhood every week, praying for revival in everybody else but me. 
And all this time, Jean felt far from me, almost like the unity movement was another woman. We weren't praying together. She certainly didn't feel my love. And then one morning, Wednesday mornings that I had off, that I dedicated to to the unity um, passion, I was up before everybody. It's dark. I'm, I'm praying in my quiet time room. Got the Bible open. And I literally hear a word from behind me. Stares. I'm a, I'm a psychologist. It's not good when you start hearing voices, you know. But it came again. Stares. And I ignored it two times. And it came a third time. Stares. So, okay. Something's going on. I close my Bible. I sit up and I go, Lord, stairs? I don't understand. I have stairs. You want me to go to the stairs? And I, still dark. Nobody's up. I quietly walk down the hall and go halfway down our stairs. And I, I sit down and I go, okay, I'm here. And I look to my left and there's this basket of stuff on the stairs that kind of goes up or down, you know, to put away. And I start leafing through it and a bill and something else I didn't recognize. And, and I just brought them all. Uh, back up to my quiet time room, and nothing else unusual happened that, that, uh, that morning. Got the kids to breakfast, and then out to the bus, and, and then Jean and I were having our second breakfast, and I, I get out the things that were on the stairs, and I say, Jean, were these you know, important to you for anything? And I show her, and yeah, that's a bill I was going to pay, and this, and that. Then I, I hand her this, and she goes, oh, that. Yeah, that's a, a, a book of trails and walks that I was going to take, local trails and walks you can take in the, in the capital region. I know you're too busy on your unity day, but I was going to have a girlfriend walk with me. She was recovering from aneurysm surgery, and I, my heart starts to pound because I think this is it, and I think, okay, would, would you go on a walk with me today? And she goes, oh, no, I know you're busy. You, know, you go ahead, do your thing. I'll do it another time. And I beg her. And, and finally, she gives in and says, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll do it with you. And she picks a, a walk in Washington Park, downtown Albany, uh, around that pond. Some of you have seen it. And we walk around the pond once, and we're talking and having a nice time. And we walk around another time, and then she's tired. We get back to the car, and I start the car to drive home. And, and she goes, wait, let's pray. I turned the car off. <laughs> We're sitting there in the parking lot. I hold her hand, and we prayed for like 20 minutes. We prayed for each other. We prayed for our kids. We prayed for our neighbors. We prayed for this church. We prayed for the capital region. We got fully prayed out, you know, and I'm feeling all like, wow, where did this come from? And we say amen, and then I start the car again and start ambling out of the parking lot, and she goes, you know, when you walk with me, I feel you love me. The Holy Spirit said one word to me, and by halfway through the day, something I couldn't get to happen for months was happening. Jean felt my love. A few years down the down, maybe a couple years after that, I'm in I'm in Colorado. Um, at a school of spiritual direction with 
Larry Crabb and about 30 people. We spent a week together thinking hard about how you grow in Christ and what the Christian life is all about. And part of the time was a meeting with a spiritual director that he had mentored. Mine was Carla. And she listened to me actually moaning about that I hadn't been on a half pipe all season and didn't get to go on a half pipe last year. And I love snowboarding and I'm feeling blah, you know, blah, blah, blah. And she looks at me after listening for a while and she asked me a question and then she gave me an assignment. She said, I wonder what your cool boy, self-absorbed, pleasure-seeking ways have done over the years to your wife's feminine soul. Maybe you should ask her. And I'm going, I paid good money for this. (laughs) I want my money back. (laughs) But actually, nobody ever talks to me like that. And I've asked her to keep talking to me every month on the phone for for meetings like that. But I did, when I went home, I, I went to Jean and I asked her what my cool boy, self-absorbed, pleasure-seeking ways have been doing to her feminine soul over these years. And she was gentle but honest. And she said things like, well, I don't ever feel like we're really partners. And I usually feel like something else or everything else is more important to you than I am. She didn't mean God. She meant fishing, snowboarding, maybe the unity movement. What do you do with that? We usually avoid going here, but God had definitely led me to this place. This is where a revival starts. Stan Key, who um, spoke and, and taught and was the pastor at uh, Loudonville Community Church for years, now he's, he's president of the Francis Asbury Society, and he gave the fall revival addresses at Asbury Theological Seminary in September. And he said this, he said, We will never experience revival until we come to grips with the depths of our own sin. And mostly here I'm talking about relational sin. Revival starts at home. The Lord may be convicting you about a behavioral sin like out-of-control anger. We've been talking about anger on Sunday mornings or porn or some other addiction, and we need to admit our failures and struggles in these areas and walk in the light and be cleansed and win these battles. But relational sin is worse. It's about how unlike Jesus we are when we relate to the people closest to us out of our selfishness and pride. Jesus, if you think about the Gospels and what you've read of Jesus, Jesus moves toward others always for their good, at any cost to himself, to please and to reveal what his father is like. He moves toward others for their good at any cost to himself, thank the cross, to please and to reveal his father. We move toward others so often for our good (laughs) at any cost to them, displeasing and misrepresenting our God. I felt good about myself prayer walking the the neighborhood and working for revival. And I thought Jean wasn't spiritual. I looked down on her. And here she is, the only person I ever promised to love, feeling a million miles away from me. And I'm feeling good. That's relational sin. 
But when the Lord humbled me and I listened and walked around Washington Park Pond with her, she felt him in me. Did anybody listen to Paul Anderson last Sunday in church? He said an amazing thing. I never, I didn't see it in scripture. We know that the fullness of God dwells bodily in Jesus. But he pointed out a scripture that says the fullness of God is to dwell bodily in you and me. And a little bit of the answer to Jesus' prayer in John 17 started to happen between Jean and me when he humbled me and got me walking with her where she felt my love. I want to look at um, two charts briefly. Uh, the first one is meant to depict conversion. And if you look at it, there's an upward slope. That's your growing awareness of God's goodness and holiness. And the downward slope is your awareness of just how sinful you are, just how unlike Jesus you are. And you feel the gap, and you know you're in trouble. And Jesus takes the penalty for your sin. The cross bridges that gap, and he embraces you and forgives you, and you're on a journey. But why do we stop being amazed by grace? Look at the second chart with me. This is later on in the Christian life. Time's going from left to right. This is growing maturity as a Christian. You become more aware over time of God's goodness and holiness, right? As you read the scriptures and you see how forgiving he is toward you over and over. But what happens with your awareness of your sinfulness? It's not that you're sinning more the longer you've been a Christian, hopefully, you know, but you're deep, more deeply troubled about your sin. You, you see it as the Holy Spirit convicts you, and the gap between who Jesus is and what you're like down inside grows. And so as you see that cross getting bigger and bigger, that's the size of your gratitude as you grow in, in the Christian life. Grace can, still, grace can be more amazing the more you face what you're really like inside and the, the gap he bridges. So now let's go back to that revival verse of Isaiah 50, verse 4. Does this look any different now if you read it as a revival verse? Wakens you to what? First, listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction about your own selfishness and pride so you can confess and repent and be filled with his life for others. And then listen to who? To sustain who? Listen to him in order to have words and walks that sustain those closest to home. Those that you talked about in, in your uh, discussions around the table. The people you're going through life with. And then those out from there in your spheres of influence. I want to share just one more brief story um, as we get ready to wrap up. I, I'm a counselor, as I mentioned, and um, it's my practice before I go out to the waiting room to greet the next client to pray. And one day in particular, I was I'm actually on my face on my office floor praying, Lord, 
if you don't show up in this next hour, nothing good's going to happen. Please fill me and control me with your Holy Spirit so that your life and your hope flows through me to this person. And I get up and I put my hand on the doorknob to, to open my office door to go out into the hall. And right there, the Holy Spirit arrests me and he says, Brian, why don't you pray like that on your way home to Jean? Jesus has a one-track mind with me. <laughs> Have you ever noticed he's kind of bossy? <laughs> yeah. Have you thought about that? You know, you want to do a good job at work. How about using those skills and that passion that you do at work at home? In summary, when we pray for revival, God has impressed on me that he wants us to start with revived relationships at home. Revival starts at home. First, with anyone you promise to love. That could keep you busy a while. Then out from there to the list you discussed at breakfast, your family, friends, accountability partner, small group. Then out from there, your neighbors, your co-workers, even your enemies. That's in Scripture. <laughs> and certainly building good relationships with people that go to other churches, Bible-believing churches in our community, that's part of it, but it's not first. I think that's one of the things my mentor Rita was getting at. And then don't believe the devil's lie that love can't thrive in your marriage or your family or in your circle of influence. With others, it might be true, but it's not true for me. That's a lie from the devil. The Holy Spirit knows how to teach you to love the people closest to you in a way that gets through as love. I'm going to say that again. The Holy Spirit knows how to teach you to love the people closest to you in a way that gets through to them as love. He may have to send you to the stairs to do it. I didn't tell you. Stairs was the place at the time we were sending our kids for time out. <laughs> I got sent to the stairs by the Holy Spirit. And then he'll help you to see just how unlike Jesus you are, ways that your pride and undying commitment to yourself is eclipsing the love he's placed in you that's deeper than your sin. But if you are willing, the Holy Spirit will waken you to listen like one being taught. Last slide. We have one more, I think. Skip, there we go. There's deep joy here. But to experience revival, we first have to be willing to let the Lord show us that things are far worse than we thought. I think this is mainly what Rita was getting at. <laughs> that we can't fake it with the Lord or fix things by trying harder. The depth of revival joy comes by first seeing... Change the page... <laughs> that you're hopeless. Seeing the gap between the way you naturally are and the way God is. Remember that cross chart. But also seeing that he's not going anywhere. He's not turning from, from you in disgust. He sees you as you are and he still wants you. <laughs> you seeing your sin for what it is and wanting him to make you like Jesus makes you a candidate for amazing grace. Repenting and rejoicing was the way 
Christians in in the South African revival of the early 1900s used to sign their letters, yours repenting and rejoicing. And that about covers it. And does it ever need to stop? No. Revival is is a cycle, if you think about it. Recognizing the gap and knowing you need amazing grace and confessing your sin and repenting, receiving Christ's forgiveness and then being amazed at grace. Now you're filled in control with the Spirit and you can't wait to serve Him. You gain confidence in His love for you and now you think He probably loves other people. And you take faith risks to show love to those at home and show love to people you're going through life with. And something alive, deep, deeper in you than your sin gets released out of you and people feel your love and they see a picture of what God is like and they want to come to him. That's sweet. But then there's also your flesh. It's still there and you might start to get prideful and operate in your flesh and, and your selfishness comes out and you hurt somebody again or, or fall into... Uh, your addiction or whatever, and guess what? You, you need amazing grace again. And you go confessing and repenting and being filled again, renewed in, in your strength. And re- revival is a process, and it never needs to stop. And I guess what I envision right now as we finish up is that we, we, could, we could all kind of stand and kind of gather toward the front and I'd like us to close in, in prayers of repentance and crying out for revival that starts with us. People can pray how they want, but I'd like to suggest that everyone say at least one word of confession and repentance, out loud or silently if you want. Name the sin and receive his forgiveness. And then let's surrender ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and live in revival. Would you join me? Just kind of everybody stand and come out toward the front and let's just maybe one word prayers. You heard all these, O God. Holy Spirit, bring them to Jesus at the cross. Pride, rebellion, anger, lasciviousness, arrogance, doubt, addiction, Lust, refusal to deny myself, fear, confusion, worry, anxiety, comparing myself with others, competition, greed, impatient, unkind, and all the rest offered in whispers and silently. You will hear our confessions, Lord. We're a mess. We deserve nothing but rejection and condemnation. And you're going to wash our feet. You're going to cleanse us with your blood shed on the cross. Amazing love. How can it be that you, my king, would die for me? It's almost too good to be true, but it's too great to be missed. You invite us, Lord. You said in your word, if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let us refuse to live unforgiven because of your gospel. Thank you, Lord. Awaken us. Help us carry this revival life home 
and then everywhere else we go so that the people we're going through life with would see you in us and be drawn to you. In the precious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.